One of the best things you can do in negotiations is shut up. Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Okay, so I think I'm supposed to just run the show from the beginning. So how's everyone doing today? It's all you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, uh, I thank everybody for being here. First of all, I, I know there are probably five or six different other like Zoom calls that you could be on. Um, also, anyone who's watching this in the future on the recordings, if you could just like message me on Facebook to let me know you watched it, that would make me feel good because I'm kind of woo-woo and I like to know that I'm helping people in the metaverse, if that makes sense, right? Um, I wanted to talk about um, uh, negotiations, mostly because I think right now it is a timely subject. Um, especially in today's market, we actually have a lot of opportunities as real estate agents to negotiate. And it's actually one of the core things that our clients are hiring us for, right? Um, for me, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I like to, I would say that negotiations are probably my third favorite part of real estate. Number one, always being the education bit, uh, getting my clients to understand how everything kind of fits together. Number two is going to be showing some kind of goofy that way. I actually like working with buyers. Uh, number three is always negotiations. I just like to see how people kind of interact within those different you know elements. And you know, every now and then we're able to to, to pull something over to help somebody um, get a better end result, which is again why people hire us as real estate agents. If you look at why buyers and sellers say they decided to hire a real estate agent, negotiating them a good deal, whether it's on the purchase or the sale, is what they're going to tell you. And you know, I think there's a lot of really great agents out there that are great at marketing but aren't necessarily great at being real estate agents. I like to be both, right? I like to be great at actually helping my clients with both marketing their homes. I also like to be really good at marketing as, or at negotiations as well. So I want to get this chat out of the way so I can see my notes. Um, I do apologize in advance as well. I'm still working on the audio here as I just set up my home office last week. So if you hear any like bumping or anything like that, I am working on that. Um, I always like to tell people that, you know, what's going on in the market from, from week to week and what's going on that way. I would say in the last 90 days of last 10 deals that I did, nine of them had some level of closing costs included in them, right? If you were representing buyers or you're representing sellers, you need to know how to negotiate around closing costs, not just purchase price. I always tell people that the offer as a buyer is not always one in the purchase price, it's one in the terms, right? So I always like to have a conversation with people up front about those things. But we're seeing inspections today. Back in 2020, 2021, a lot of you were in that market at the same time as I was. You probably remember we weren't seeing a lot of negotiations. It was just, we got to offer what it is that we can. And we got to really give away the farm in order to make that work, which was also another type of negotiation. Uh, in today's market, the negotiations are usually that we can actually work around timelines, price points, maybe additional contingencies, not always just inspection contingencies, but appraisals. Uh, sale contingencies. I've seen a, a few situations in the last couple of months where I was able to get a buyer's offer accepted when they had a sale contingency, which is not always an easy thing to do, right? And I think if you are someone who's going to spend time learning how to negotiate well, you're going to take time to be diligent about it. This is your market to shine. You can really do a good job for your clients and they will tell other people that um, that you did a great job negotiating for them. And negotiations aren't always about what's going on in the purchase agreement when they're making an offer. Problems come up, right? Recently had a problem come up last night that we're actively working through. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities for us to be skilled negotiators. I always tell 
real estate agents that oftentimes we are shock absorbers for our clients. Something goes wrong in a transaction. We're the ones who have to take the hit a little bit and we have to work through those things. And it's our job to explain to them how these things all kind of fit together as well. So um, again, um, if you show up a little bit late, if you don't mind, and I know a lot of you are driving, a lot of you are walking, if you could turn your camera on, just if I can see people nodding or at least picking up what I'm putting down, the click is what I really like to see. I like to see people understand what it is I'm coming at. So if you can turn your camera on, you can nod, you'd really be helping me out as well. So thank you, Petra. Appreciate that. Um, so um, I always tell people to like take 70% of what I say. There's so many different ways to run a real estate business. You don't have to you know, believe that my strategy and my philosophy is gospel. There's many different ways for people to run their real estate business. If you disagree with something that I say, that's perfectly fine. You're allowed to do that, right? Uh, Autumn, do I have to keep admitting people in here? Or can you help me out with that? Uh, no, I'm letting them in too. <laughs> okay, lovely. I'm sitting here. I'm like, do I have to follow this up the whole time too? Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of my history. Um, I've I've been in uh, negotiations since I was 19 years old. Um, I actually used to be an asset recovery specialist, which is just a, a really fancy way that you would write it on your on your resume that you were a debt collector. Right. Um, that was one of those jobs that you really had to leave your heart on the outside of the train of of the office. But I was working with people who were anywhere from a year to two years, potentially three years behind on a specific bill. Typically, uh, credit cards. I refused student loans and I refused debt, but I was pretty good with collecting credit cards. And that was a different type of negotiation as well. But it taught me in those first three years in that business how to have conversations with complete strangers, how to work towards a different resolution that maybe not everybody really wants to work towards. And how to actually structure things so that you know you can get them to actually want to take the steps and the actions that you want them to take, right? And in real estate, oftentimes we have to have tough conversations with with our clients. And I felt like that was a career where it taught me to walk people through a potentiality to resolve some of their situations as far as you know how much debt they owed. Maybe they had significant issues. We were able to settle debt. You know, someone owed eighteen hundred dollars on a credit card. I might be in a situation where I can settle that debt for twelve hundred bucks. Maybe I'm not going to be able to get them to pay off the entire balance, but if they haven't paid their bill in two years, and I'm able to get the 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 creditor twelve hundred bucks, you know, that's better than what they got yesterday, right? Which was nothing, right? So if we can we can work to help people through negotiations, I learned um, an asset recovery, right? Debt collection. Um, how to work people through those things. And again, it was a different type of negotiation, right? At uh, 23 years old, uh, I was in auto sales for 18 months. I got recruited into real estate. Um, I learned a lot in auto sales as well. I will also tell everybody here, if you are looking to buy a new car, I always encourage people to look at the certified pre-owned used vehicles. I can usually get you a better deal. If I was if I was you know in auto sales still and you were in front of me, I could usually get you a better deal on a used car with a better warranty and oftentimes I'm making more money too. Because if you think about it from a new car standpoint, they're competing with the dealership just down the road that's selling the exact same car. They don't have a lot of profit there, right? So I know where it is that I can negotiate in those areas. And as a, as a salesperson, if I had someone looking at a new car a lot, I might be able to get them a better price on the used car and I can still get more money as well for me as far as the gross goes, as far as the commission, right? So everybody wins, right? Um, and that was actually one thing I learned in auto sales right away was always have another idea. Right. If this house, in this situation, this car doesn't work for you. Wait, I just want to show you something that came on a lot yesterday. Right. This house maybe not doesn't work for you, but I actually saw one just last week. I think that you should know about. Right. 
Um, I've, I've had clients be like, I, I want a house that's a four bedroom, two bath. Well, what if I have one that is a two bedroom, one bath, but it's got an unfinished basement and we can finish that, right? So working out different things, always have kind of that next idea in place. I learned that in auto sales, um, real estate. I started at 25, I'm 33 years old, right? I'm told that uh, age is a curable disease. So I'm, I'm actively working on that. Um, I, but I have been in negotiations for 15 years, right? Uh, at some various level, uh, I've made negotiations and diligent effort in uh, my practice and in, in all my life because I want to know how it is I can best serve my clients, right? It's been a big focus of mine. Um, in today's meeting, I'm going to be talking about mostly the book, Getting to Yes, which has anyone ever read this book before? Everyone heard of Getting to Yes? I see some nodding heads. This is a book. And if you look at my books, they are just like, I have notes everywhere, all over all my books. All my books are like this. <laughs> but this is actually a really great foundational book for anyone who wants to understand uh, negotiations and how to do it in an effective way where everybody can feel like they're actually coming out in a better situation, right? Um, in this book, they talk about the difference between positional marketing uh, so positional, positional, positional negotiations and principled negotiations, right? So we're going to be talking about is principled negotiations. I'm sure some of you can think of situations in your career or maybe in your life where someone was really dead set on a specific position. I'm not going to come down uh, less than 500,000. I'm not going to sell my house for less than 500,000. Not going to happen, right? That's a very, that's a position. That's like, I'm not doing it right? Maybe there's a way that we can work it out where they're still going to get maybe the next house, which is the bigger focus. So we're actually going to be focusing on some other things aside from just the position of where people want. Buyers want to get the best price. Sellers want to make sure that they're getting um, the best sales price for their home. Our job is to try to make it so that everybody gets what it is they need. So we're looking at different things. So the, the four basic principles of principle negotiation are people, interest, options, criteria right? Number one is we have to separate the people from the problem. I'm sure some of you have been in situations where, you know, a client got emotional about something. I can't believe that they want to take my mirror that I paid to have installed in my bathroom. It's a $20 mirror, right? People get emotional about really, really weird things. Our job is to help them start treating this like a business transaction. We have to separate the people from the problem, the problem here is that we want to sell our house. The problem here is that we want to buy this house, right? Now, number two part of that is interest, right? And we're looking for both shared and different interests. If you are a buyer, both a buyer and a seller have a shared interest in that they want to close on the sale of the house, right? We all want to get to closing, right? That's that's a shared interest, right? Our different interests are a buyer wants to get a, a, a lower sales price, seller wants to get a higher sales price, right? But there are additional things that I talk to people about um, with interest as well. There are, especially for our clients, there are known interests and then there are unknown interests. A lot of buyers don't know really what it is that they should actually be focusing on, right? Focusing on, right? So there's a lot of different things that go into that. Our job is to really bring those things to the forefront in those conversations. Maybe I'm not going to be able to get you $20,000 off this purchase price, but maybe I'm able to get a situation where we can get some level of seller's contributions towards your closing costs, your out-of-pocket expenses are less, you're able to get a, a better situation on the purchase overall. In today's market, when I'm talking to buyers, you have a really good opportunity of buying a house for anywhere between 3 and 5% down, and in some situations, $1,000 out-of-pocket with different financing options if you can get a grant or some sort of interest-free 
loan that's being offered to you right now. Back in 2020, 2021, when people were offering $20,000 over asking, uh, 10,000 appraisal gap coverage, full appraisal gap coverages, that wasn't happening. People were spending probably three times as much money to buy the exact same house they are today. Yes, your payment is more expensive, but there's a lot of buyers that right now have taken their foot off the gas. And I personally believe when interest rates go down one to 2%, which at some point in the future they will, it's going to be a bloodbath out there. Those buyers who are waiting right now are going to be in a much worse situation, I feel, when rates drop than what they would be today, even at the higher interest rates. That is my personal opinion. Um, I represent a lot of buyers, so I like to think that I have a little bit of authority on this, right? But my buyers who are purchasing right now, they are going to come out well ahead. And I just want to make sure that we are setting ourselves up in a situation where we can help them get at what they need. And we can show them that this isn't always about price. It's not always about getting the payment right. Sometimes it's about making sure that you're able to get something without it being super competitive. How many buyers were you representing in 2020 and 2021 who are struggling to get offers accepted if they had to sell their house. Those people are the ones that you should be talking to today about how these things work. You might not get everything that you want for the sale of your home. You might not get $20,000, $30,000 over asking for your home, but you got a lot of equity in your home right now. I can virtually guarantee it if you have owned your house for four years, right? Four years or more, you are probably sitting on a substantial amount of equity, right? You might not get everything that you think that your house is worth today, but you want to know what? You're probably going to be buying in the same market too. And most people, not always, some people are downsizing, but there a lot of people are upsizing and they're going to be purchasing in that same market, right? So I just feel there's a lot of opportunities for buyers right, right now and sellers as well, if you do it right, because we're all kind of working together on the same thing. A seller becomes a buyer, typically, right? Um, so always separate the people from the problem. We want to make sure that we keep emotions out of it as much as we can. And sometimes that's hard to do. Even for us as real estate agents, especially for real estate agents who are struggling, they need this next deal to close in order to pay their mortgage. Right? This is why I'm a firm believer in making sure that you have an established pipeline and making sure that you're working with a lot of different clients, not just one or two clients at a time. You want to make sure that you're actively keeping the pipeline full so that you're not going to have commission breath. You're going to be able to negotiate a whole lot better if the negotiation is not going to be what pays your mortgage next month. Right? Um, so separating, looking for both shared and different interests, right? Shared interests. We all want to get the closing, different interests. You know, buyer wants to have an inspection. They want to feel like they're getting a solid house. The seller wants to get their house sold that they so that they can get an accepted offer on the house that just came out on the market yesterday. We have different interests there. But for a buyer, I might be able to negotiate a better deal for my buyer client just because I know the seller is going through a situation like that, right? It's a different interest. Right. And that actually ends up working out to everybody's advantage. For a seller, it might be a situation where they need to stay there another 90 days before they can get that next house. Right. That is an interest to the seller to have a buyer who's willing to agree to those terms. Make sense? So, shared different interests. We always want to look for those things. And again, we're looking for the known and the unknown. As, as real estate professionals, I feel like we know a lot more about what goes into a real estate transaction than the average consumer. And it's our job to bring to the forefront those things that maybe they aren't considering today, right? Those are where we can do the best for our clients. Again, the offer is one in the terms, not the purchase price, right? You ever, anyone here ever had a cash buyer that thinks in multiple offers, they think that they are definitely going to get an accepted offer no matter what, right? I always tell my cash buyers, my cash will get you the front of the line, but won't necessarily win you the deal, right? Seller cares about where that you're going to be able to get the money. They don't care how you got the money. I used to run that auto sales all the time. Well, I'll pay cash. I'm like, I'd rather you finance anyways. I get paid if the loan officer gets you to, or the, the 
finance guy gets you to do a deal, right? Um, so number three is going to be options, uh, which, you know, in different types of negotiations, sometimes it's a conversation of what options entirely are available and it's more of a collaborative effort, right? Um, I can think back to when I was in debt collection. I mean, your option is pay this in full today, which, you know, that would be great for the creditor. Option B is we settle that account at 80% of what you actually owe on it. Option C is you set up a payment plan on the balance. Option D is you set up a payment plan on the uh, the settlement that we're going to agree to this way. Option E, which is BATNA, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, is we don't do anything, right? Nobody wins in that situation if you're a creditor, right? I feel like if you're a buyer and you decide to walk away from the house, that's not necessarily lost to me. We're going to go find another house, right? Just wasn't the right one for them, or at least not at that price, right? And when I run into negotiations like that, where I'm representing a seller and a buyer's agent tells me, well, we're just not at that price. We have an opportunity to come back to that person. Like, well, what would it take? I just want to know. You know, we probably won't get there. I, I would just like to know because maybe there's a situation in another two, three weeks. Our house isn't selling. We're not getting much activity. We're not getting much traction on it. And maybe I can go back to my seller and be like, remember when we had this offer? Are you sure you don't want me to go back and just have a conversation with that agent about where they were at? We don't necessarily have to go to, to the price that they were at. We can maybe make another counter to them, right? If I get an offer on a property and it's the only one I have, I'm going to do work everything that I possibly can to get a deal to go, done for my client, right? What I know when I got a buyer interested in a house is I got a buyer who wants to buy something. Right. I'm seeing a pre-approval letter. They don't pre-approval letter. They're not making an offer. Right. Like it's not a real thing. Um, number four is going to be criteria. And this is actually a really good strategy for anyone who's, you know, working with a lot of listings right now, or maybe you are in an active negotiation on sale. When I'm talking to a buyer and I'm representing sellers, whether they come through an open house, which you'll never catch me in an open house, by the way. But let's say you're at my open house, I might pull out the comparable properties in that neighborhood, both sold active and pending sales because I want to show them that where we are at, where we are priced at is totally reasonable. It's based on objective criteria. RPR, you think about what you can do with artificial intelligence nowadays to make sure that you're showing people market trends. Um, I always will use previous experiences when I have problems come up in a transaction. Well, hey, this is something that we worked out in the past. You know, This is something that we did. When, that is objective criteria. We're basing the next decision that we're about to make off of something that we've seen happen in the past, right? So we're using past experiences to get information there. All right, um, BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Um, sometimes it's okay to walk away. Um, when I was in Egypt last year, I was in the Egyptian markets and I, I loved the strategy so much. I would just go out there and they'd be like, oh, you know, you know, 30, I don't really, I can't even remember the currency right now for Egypt. It was like $30, right? I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, 15. No, I'm not going to do it. And then you just start walking away and they're like, oh, no, no, we'll, we'll do 20. You know, I just watch those things kind of come down. Sometimes walking away is a strategy. When I'm representing buyers and I know that they really like a house, but it's only got their offer on it and the seller is unwilling to come back to those terms, I prepare my buyer clients for longer negotiations. Has anyone ever had a negotiation that took longer than two weeks before? I have, right? Now, I would rather get it done in, in 30 minutes, right? Just like everybody else. But there are some situations where a seller doesn't want to come down in price. And so what I got to do is I have to establish communication, make sure that they're keeping me looped in so that I know if there is another offer, we can work through those things. Um, after uh, best alternative to a negotiated agreement um, is going to be kind of the collaboration phase, which I really touched on a little bit just, just a, a few minutes ago, which is coming back to people and be like, well, what would work? 
Maybe, maybe not this, maybe not this house. What about this house? You know, there are some listing agents when I talk to them, my buyer looks at the house and they don't like it. And, you know, I give them the feedback that agent reaches out to me. Hey, you know, I know they didn't like this house, but hey, I got another one coming up next week. Right. Maybe you reach out to that listing agent and, you know, they sell a lot of houses in that area. Like, hey, I got a buyer who's been looking to purchase in that area. Can I have a conversation with you? If you have something that comes up that we can talk about. Right. Um, anyone here have a certified negotiation expert credential? Yeah, Sarah's like I do. Yeah, um, I do as well. I do not have the the MCNE, but I, I loved what I loved most about that credential was that it talked about how negotiators do six times more research. The expert negotiators do six times more research than am than amateurs, right? Now that doesn't mean you have to put six times more effort, six times six times more time into it, right? Like as you keep doing these things, you will learn how to be more specific on where to look. And again, artificial intelligence today is a really, really great tool. If I'm making a lower offer on the sale of a, a property on behalf of one of my buyer clients, I'm probably going to be looking at the comparable properties in that neighborhood. And I'm going to include that with my offer. It's objective criteria, right? I might include market trends. Yes, your house may have been worth this three months ago. When things were still selling with five, six offers on it, not happening right now. In today's market, you might this might be the best offer you get. Um, if you've ever been in a situation in multiple offers, how many were, were telling the listing agent, "Hey, if we're you know two thousand, five thousand apart, could you just let me know? I don't, I don't want my buyer to miss out on a house over two thousand bucks." Right now, you don't always want to give those things away, and that's the interesting thing with real estate as far as negotiations goes. Like we are very limited to what our buyers and sellers allow us to do, right? And I ask people to be you know, receptive of that as well, um, especially when you are in negotiations with an agent on the other side and maybe they do something that you don't agree with, right? You don't, you don't agree that they did this. And again, we're trying to separate the people from the problem. The listing agent is, has their constituents that they are going to. The buyer's agent has their constituents that they are working with. They're not always in control of the negotiations, right? We do the best we can with the cards that we are dealt. Right. I can't believe that your buyer did. I can't believe that you did this, Alex. So like, are you serious? Like, like I actually personally, I didn't, you wouldn't probably never tell the listening agent, but I actually showed the comps to my buyer too. And yeah, you're right. They, they're not being correct. Sometimes we have to have those negotiations with our clients too. Right. Like the, if you offer this amount, you will not get an accepted offer. Back when multiple offers were happening, people were like, well, could we just try for $10,000 under asking? See what they say. Well, they'll say nothing. It's what they're going to do. <laughs> Nothing at all. They're not going to even respond to us. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I also, when I'm engaging with other uh, agents out there, I try to make it a fun experience. We are not on opposing sides all the time. In many ways, we are working together to make sure that this all happens at the same time. I'm sure many of you had situations in the past where you had a problem come up in a transaction and the agent on the other side got emotional and just didn't, it wasn't helpful at all. It was like super difficult to, to work through things. And then you've had bigger problems happen on another transaction. And then the agent on the other side is super easy to work with, is working to have solutions. Or you might even have a situation where you're canceling a purchase agreement with that agent and they still thank you for all the efforts that you put in. If you can have that level of relationship and that kind of reputation with other agents in the city, doesn't matter how many haters you got. The ones that have worked with you are going to come out and they're going to say, no, I worked with that person and they were not like that at all. 
When I am in negotiations with my clients, I'm clear. I tell them I can break down exactly what an offer looks like in probably 20 seconds. We're offering 420,000. There's an eight day inspection contingency. Uh, we have uh, 3,000 earnest money and we're going to be closing on October 18th. Right. I can tell my, I can tell the seller exactly what that is. When I submit an offer on behalf of a buyer, there's an email breakdown of everything purchase price, minus concessions, minus home warranty, net to seller, additional details, who it's pre approved with, what the down payment is, inspections, any different things that could go into their arbitration, miscellaneous little things. And I always end every offer when I set it off with all my clients receive a 60 to 90 minute overview of everything to expect before we even go look at houses. I assure you that if you accept my client's offer, they are completely prepared to perform on every term of this agreement. Now, if I say that and you see that as a listing agent, you're comparing apples to apples to another offer, exactly the same. The other one just sent over a PDF file. Gosh, if you're lucky, you get one PDF file, actually. I've had situations where like agents will just like send me the signature pages. Is this a thing? Uh, but uh, yeah, just make sure it's clean, right? I like to be clear, concise, and I like to have it clean. I don't like seeing mistakes on anybody's purchase agreement. We are all capable of making mistakes. You know, I I personally missed boxes even within the last few months, right? But I always like to have my offers look super clean so that when the agent on the other side is looking it over, they can be like, look, this offer, super clean. This one over here was full of mistakes. This person probably knows what they're doing just a little bit more. The negotiation doesn't always start when the offer is happening either. It starts with the establishing of the relationship that you're having with a person on the other side, right? We don't call people right away. I'm like, here's our offer. You want to get a little bit more details as to what's going on, right? Typically. Today's market anyways, not in 2020. 2020 was like, let's throw this up against the wall, see what happens. Uh, <laughs> but I like my offers to be clean. I like to be clear and I like to be concise. Um, I also like to see offers in writing. I do not like verbal offers personally. I would much, with, if I have someone who calls me, it's like, hey, do you think your seller would do this? I'm like, could you go ahead and put that in an offer for me and I will present it to the seller? Because if you put that in writing and I have something tangible, I can bring to my seller. I'm like, hey, you know what? This is the offer. This is terms. If you sign here, your house is sold. When it's staring you in the face that you have the possibility of getting your house sold, maybe you've been on the market for a while. Maybe it's not everything you want. You might take that offer. You'd be surprised what people are willing to do, right? Sometimes you just got to ask. Um, same thing with, with buyers too, if I get a counter offer. What would you? I actually, one mistake I'll tell you I made, I made many mistakes, but one mistake I made in 2017 is I had a listing agent call me when I was representing a buyer. He was like, hey, can your buyer do $5,000 more? Well, let me, let me, let me call, I'll call my buyer. And my buyer's like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll do it. So I wrote the counter offer for my buyer, increasing my buyer's offer by $5,000. My buyer was okay with it. They made the decision. I presented a verbal offer, but maybe it would have been better for me to ask that listing agent, like, hey, could you just put that in writing for me? And then I will present it. Because maybe that, that seller would have sold for less, right? We make mistakes, we learn from them, right? Maybe a better agent, right? And I don't know if that was necessarily what happened, right? Um, I'm not sure there's one other thing I was going to talk about with that. I totally lost it, right? Um, but yes, I think part of it is, you know, it's it's great to work with agents who can be calm, cool, and collected, even when things are are high-strung, right? And if you can be that agent when something problematic comes up, you can be like, well, let's just, let's, let's not get emotional here. You know, let's, your interest is this. You know, my seller's interest is this. 
We just want to make sure that we understand where those sometimes it's great to just talk about what your interests are with the person on the other side of the transaction. If they know what's important to you and you know what's important to them, you might be able to come to some agreement or some terms that actually works better for everyone. Again, the offer is one in the terms, not the price. All right. Um, I'll give you a, a couple of little key, key, uh, key tips um, that I use uh, sometimes. If I run into someone who does get emotional with me and maybe they accuse me or they accuse my, my seller of something, I think it's a really great strategy to ask the person on the other side to please repeat themselves. Very few people will want to seem foolish by repeating themselves after having said something negative. Very few people will want to do that. I'm sorry, could you repeat that for me? One of the key tips I learned in, in debt collection, I, honestly, my great mentors, Nikita told me this. He said, Alex, you're too smart. You got to be dumber than the person you're talking to. Some situations, that's the case. But I'm, I'm confused. Why is this important? Like maybe you know it, but I want to hear why. I want to hear them say it. I want I want them to say see this as a bargaining chip, right? Um, other things would be anchors, setting thing on one end and then settling at a different point. I did this recently. I was renegotiating my Sirius XM because I like to do road trips, right? And they were trying to tell me it's thirty five dollars a month. I'm like thirty five dollars a month. I don't think I paid that last year, right? I got them down to <laughs> doing four dollars and ninety nine cents a month plus tax, right? I'm like, so it's like I'm like I'm not gonna pay you that. You know, like, are you crazy? So that's an anchor, right? You're setting yourself to a specific area. Tie downs are also situations when someone says something to me like, hey, you know, the buyer wants to ask for 3% in closing costs. I might just say closing costs. That's Chris Voss taught that one. Just repeat the last word of what they just said. It makes them think just a little bit more because it makes them kind of open up a little bit. One of the best things you can do in negotiations is shut up. There's a really great... Uh, uh, Zoom call I was on the other day where, and I know we're running out of time, where the uh, agent who was presenting told me, don't give them multiple choice answers. Don't give them the answers. You know, what is your biggest fear about this? Don't say, what's your biggest fear about this? Is it, you know, not closing on time? Is it not getting the money you want? You know, like, don't, don't give them the answers. Let them tell you. You might be, you might be surprised at what you hear. All right. Um, and now we're we're kind of at the end here, so I'll open up for like a few minutes of uh, uh, of quick questions, and then you know we'll jump off. All right, Adam, I don't think anyone's got any questions. I think they all know how to negotiate now. Hey, Brittany. All right. Well, thank you, Alex. Everyone, have a great start to the day. Get after it. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.